Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. And my man Colby is about to embark on a trip of a lifetime. I'm I'm fired up for you. Why don't you tell the listeners what you're gearing up to go do? Yeah, so there is a uh, new event. Our regular listeners know I work for NBC covering golf, and there is a new event, a college golf tournament taking place in a small town way, way, way away from Stillwater, Oklahoma, St. Andrews. And NBC is sending me over to do some coverage, write a story, do some social media stuff. Uh, so I actually fly out tomorrow for Scotland, and then I'll get to St. Andrews Saturday afternoon, early evening, uh, and I'm going to be there until Thursday. So I'm not going to have a chance to play. So obviously I would love to play being over there, but since I'll be working and I'll be on site, I'm pretty much getting a first-class look at St. Andrews, at the old course, uh, the hotel that lines the 18th fairway. I'm writing a story about that, so I'll get a, a full tour there and get to go out and overlook the 18th and the 1st. And uh, it's going to be a pretty great trip. So I am I am fired up for that. It means that the Oklahoma State game is going to start at like 8.30, 8.45, my time Saturday night after uh, an intercontinental flight. So I don't know if I'll be able to stay awake for all of it, but at some point I will find time to watch the Oklahoma State game. Uh, and hopefully Carson and I will be able to get together for the recap and I won't have to have a fill-in. Uh, I guess it depends on how busy things get in Scotland and, and how Carson and I are able to match the times up together. But yeah, I'm, I'm fired up. It's going to be busy and hectic and I'm going to be exhausted, but it'll be so worth it for, uh, yeah, like you said, a once in a lifetime trip to St. Andrews, the birthplace of golf. That'll be exciting. Now what, what colleges are going to be there? So it is, uh, it's, it's kind of set up like the East Lake cup where you have four men's teams, four women's teams. And this year it is Vanderbilt, North Carolina, Georgetown, and Notre Dame. So men's and women's from both sides will be there. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, they're actually not playing the old course. They're playing the St. Andrews Jubilee course. Uh, and then Wednesday will be match play first and second teams in stroke play for the championship. And then the third and fourth teams in stroke play for consolation will be at the old course on Wednesday. Uh, and I think Sunday we're going to go out to the old course. You know, it's just a public park on Sundays. People come walk their dogs. So I think we're just going to go out and put together like a dogs of St. Andrews video and just talk to people about their dogs and, um, Shoot, that'll probably get more hits than anything we do on the golf. <laughs> yeah, and I think this this happened a lot in my TV career. I'd go to some amazing location, and you get back, and I was like, "Do you have so much fun?" Well, like it wasn't a vacation. I was working like the entire time and working my tail off. <laughs> Didn't exactly get to go sightsee a bunch, but you'll be on the grounds for really a special place that I want to get to at some point. So that's exciting. And Oklahoma State's got a massive game, Colby, on the road at West Virginia. Um, we're going to get into all that, but first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Get your latest, greatest issue apparel. I tell you, Colby, the, the jerseys I'm seeing around on, on game days and, and on social media, the, the jerseys just, they look great on the players, but they're probably the best. I'm going to make a bold statement here. They're probably the best jersey you could purchase to actually just wear in my lifetime, probably dating back to the Sanders era. I, I just love them. I'm not uh, a yeah, Jersey but, guy. Are you a Jersey guy? I'm not a Jersey guy, but I would, I'd be tempted on that black Jersey. 
Uh, when I was younger, a little bit, not so much now, just um, a little stingy with my budget and the jerseys tend to be on the, the higher end than a t-shirt. But if you are a Jersey guy, like the black ones look really good. I also think the white ones look really good. I think you need to, I sometimes struggle to pull off the orange as a redhead, as a ginger, sometimes the orange, depending on, you know, it's like what the I'm helmet, it's like the things. helmet doesn't match the Jersey. Yeah, and it's it's very tricky as a ginger what colors you can wear and, and what you can do with what. So uh, black or white would probably be be my choice. My first football jersey was when OSU went to the black Saturday where they wore the white helmet, the black jersey, black pants when they were not very good. But I had number 25, I believe it was Andre Richardson. That's a name from – that's a name the olds will remember. Not Probably not a ton of, of younger listeners, but he was an electric running back. And I had like a – it was – it's funny because there's a black jersey, but do you know like the old school retro OSU that's really, there's barely like a line for the O to make the O and barely a line to make the S. It's all kind of one letter. You know yeah. what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had that on the sleeve. That's that's a true. I had that actually. Oh, my microphone's already acting up. So, <laughs> uh, but no, that, be sure to stop by Chris's, get get you a jersey if you're a jersey guy and or girl and, and they'll hook you up. Okay, Colby. So big game. OSU obviously has rejuvenated their season, which we talked about last week. West Virginia coming off just a bizarre game. Uh, what do you make of this matchup? I mean, West Virginia was really so far been one of the surprise teams in the Big 12. Yeah, they have been. They've been solid. They uh, they win a home game against Pittsburgh in week three, and then they beat Texas Tech at TCU to open conference play, and they won in Fort Worth, which is a good win. The The game last week, against Houston. I do wonder, Carson, there are a lot of variables to consider with this matchup because uh, you get two extra days rest for West Virginia. That's number one. They played on Thursday, uh, October 12th against Houston. So they get the nine days. Oklahoma State's on a normal seven-day week. So does that throw off West Virginia's rhythm or is that a huge advantage? But I also wonder emotionally the way they lose that game to Houston where essentially it's one, you just kind of have to not screw it up and they screwed it up. So I, I don't know emotionally what that does to a team. Maybe the extra two days allowed them to get over the hangover of that loss. And they were on the road for two straight weeks, uh, two straight games. They had a bye after the TCU game. So now they're back home playing in the, the friendly confines of Morgantown, where Oklahoma State, I believe, has won four out of five since West Virginia joined the conference. And, and Oklahoma State has not lost in Morgantown since its first trip, I believe, in 2014 after West Virginia joined the conference. So it's a place where Oklahoma State has had a lot of success, but I do wonder how the additional two days and just kind of the emotional heartbreak of the way they lost that Houston game. I think that there are a lot of unknowns uh, with what kind of West Virginia team we're going to get come Saturday. Yeah. Two very different mentalities, right? And that football is such an emotional off loss where, um, gosh, my microphone is not liking me today. Um, you're coming off a loss where, Garrett Green, which is a big talking point when you're talking about West Virginia, <laughs> he hits a 50-yard touchdown to take the lead, but in the celebration, he took off his helmet, which drew a 15-yard penalty that put the Houston in a much better position. They ultimately had the touchdown pass to our man, Stephon Johnson, who's now playing at Houston. So just a, a weird ending to a great game from Garrett Green, a career game. He threw for nearly 400 yards, had four total touchdowns. And I think he, Colby, is the reason West Virginia has been such a surprise this year because we've seen Garrett Green for, for a couple of years now where he was typically brought in just to be 
kind of the J.W. Walsh package where he would just come in and strictly run the football. They really didn't have much of a chance to throw the ball early in his career, but he's really evolved as a passer. He's he's really been really good, frankly, for, for West Virginia, and he's really elevated their offense. And he's a classic case, Colby, of guys. We tend to – it's kind of like the NFL nowadays where – in the NFL now, you don't get three years to develop like you used to. Well, I remember Aaron Rodgers just sitting behind Brett Favre, and, and that's, that was kind of the norm when you had an incumbent quarterback. Now, if you're not producing by year two, like they're ready to move on and, and get a quarterback in the draft because those contracts are so cheap. And I think it's similar in college where when you play as a young player, people kind of assume that's just what you're going to be throughout your career. Spencer Sanders comes to mind. He really evolved as a passer. And I think we're seeing that with Garrett Green. He's he's still a threat running the football. Mike Gundy talked a lot about that this week, of course. But he's also deadly through the air, which, as we know, Oklahoma State's been susceptible to. Yeah, I think last week against Houston was definitely uh, one of his better games through the air, more at the high end uh, of his, his performances. If you look at his bell curve, I think he'll probably regress some against Oklahoma State through the air, only completing 53% of his passes this year. But one thing that's interesting, about Garrett Green, he's only thrown one interception so far this season. In Oklahoma State, this defensive resurgence, what we've seen the last couple of weeks against Kansas State and against Kansas, is that Oklahoma State has been thriving on turnovers. So I'm curious what happens in this game. If both teams just play a clean game, no turnovers, I, I just think that this could be a, a one-score game with four minutes left, and then you see who makes the play late. I, I don't expect either of these teams to run away from the other. Uh, I think I think West Virginia will be able to um, not march up and down the field on Oklahoma State, but I think it'll be consistent. I think it'll be steady, kind of like what we've seen, uh, what we saw from Kansas last week. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't overwhelming. Uh, it was just steady and then hit a couple big plays over the top and see what you can do. So Garrett Green doesn't necessarily scare me as an Oklahoma State fan, but I do think that he's good enough to win this game if Oklahoma State doesn't play well. And I just think turnovers have been such a big part of Oklahoma State's defensive resurgence um, that kind of one thing I talked about Last week, putting pressure on him, making him uncomfortable, uh, bringing pressure a little more often for a guy who likes to take off. Um, I, I think that that's going to be needed this week to try to speed him up and force some turnovers to keep this defensive momentum rolling. Well, and about that, you know, we were so used to the the pressure blitzing style defense of, of Jim Knowles. That's not really what Brian Nardo has been all about so far this year. OSU only has 98 quarterback pressures this year that's ninth in the big 12 only the four newbies to the big 12 have and Baylor have produced fewer pressures to the quarterback so they've been forcing turnovers Colby without truly getting after the quarterback so to speak I think that's more of a product of a three three five where you don't get as as much pressures but you have more guys around the football when it get when it gets in the air so I, I think you're right I think they do need to get after them a little more than they have in the past and maybe that's something they will show more since they haven't done it a lot. I think that's kind of one of the real chess matches to watch in this game. And um, uh, they have allowed 11, 20-plus yard passes down the field uh, in the two games in October Oklahoma State has. So they've they've been susceptible to the big play. But I thought on pistols firing, Marshall Scott wrote a really good article about how well the cornerbacks have played for Oklahoma State this season. They're playing so well, they're really not getting – tested a whole bunch you know Corey Black Cam Smith and DJ McKinney have only allowed 24 catches for 300 yards and two touchdowns um but they're graded out really really well but everyone else so they've the corners have been targeted 49 times everyone else has been targeted 129 times 
They've only given up 24 catches to 91 from everywhere else. And they've given up two touchdowns to 12 everywhere else. So I think that really spells out the numbers kind of bear out what we've seen Colby where OSU's mainly been susceptible over the middle of the field and directly through their safeties, which have, have missed a lot of blown coverages this year, but the corners have themselves have graded out really well. Yeah. The corners have played well. Like you said, they have not seen a ton of looks. I think some of that's a byproduct of the offenses that Oklahoma state has played so far, right? Kansas was getting Fairchild open in the middle of the field. We know Kansas state likes to work the middle of the field with their tight ends. Um, so I do think that this second half of the season, you're going to see some more of that from some teams. You'll certainly see it with Oklahoma, getting it out to those guys on the edges, Farouk, Anderson, those guys. Uh, I think Houston, UCF will try to spread you out, use those guys on the outside a little bit more. But the corners have been great for Oklahoma State, and that was certainly an area of concern for me. I was a big Jabbar Muhammad guy. Obviously, he he gets an NIL deal. He goes to Washington, and they are smashing up there. Um, I haven't looked into him specifically, but I'm, I'm sure he's having a great year for Washington. But yeah, Corey Black, uh, those guys have done a great job, and you really have to kind of tip your cap because, again, you lose Muhammad. That was an area of concern, and if you take what was maybe expected to be an area of concern and you make it a strength, that's big time for Oklahoma State. And I will say, the fact that Oklahoma State has had the success that they've had the past couple of weeks defensively and they're still really not generating a ton of pressure on the quarterback, I think that that bodes well for some regression to the mean moving forward in the second half of the season in terms of hurrying the quarterback up because I do think Oklahoma State has good pass rushers and I think that as they start to get deeper into Brian Nardo's defense and the coaching staff starts to have more trust in those guys on the back end, I think you might see some more blitzing and more blitzing speeds up the quarterback. Corners have to be in coverage less time and those big plays that Oklahoma State's given up, you said 11 of 20 plus in the last two weeks, big plays are to an extent a byproduct of a quarterback being able to stand back there comfortably for three, four seconds to let guys get down the field. So I think if you can bring that down a little bit and speed those quarterbacks up, that can maybe be a way to minimize some of those big plays as well. Cause it just, it, it drives me nuts. Last week there was a, I mean, I think it was one of the plays at the left sideline guy breaks open, run, runs past Trey Rucker on that play. And Oklahoma state's rushing three and you just, you cannot rush three, give a quarterback four seconds to comfortably stand still and get beat over the top. Those things can't all function together. So um, Oklahoma State still has some things to clean up defensively, but what they've done on the edge is certainly encouraging, uh, and I'm not pressing the panic button because I do think that they're getting more comfortable in Brian Nardo's off uh, defense, and the tackling has gotten significantly better. Mike Gundy said they leaned toward health in August, but over the last four weeks, they've tackled more than they ever have during his time at Oklahoma State in practice, and it has shown up because the tackling in September was abysmal and the tackling in October has been very good. Uh, their missed tackle rate has come down significantly, dropped by about two-thirds, uh, I believe, is the stat that I saw earlier this week. So the tackling has gotten much, much better. Yeah, and that's good coaching. That's obviously recognizing a, a severe issue, and they've they've really done a good job correcting that. And Mike Gundy was quoted about their 3-3-5 defense with Brian Nardo. He said, a lot of times in an odd front, when you're a majority odd front team, you don't attack much on the perimeter. They attack more in the middle of the field on the safeties. So you're seeing more of that maybe than you would be at the cornerback position. So um, that's something to look out for. And on the flip side, Alan Bowman obviously has played really well. They've, they've won some games here with him at quarterback. And I don't know what you make of this number, Um I don't know if this is more a byproduct of what Alan Bowman's capable or if what he's just simply being asked to do in Casey Dunn's offense, but only 9.1 percentage of Bowman's passes have traveled further than 20 yards in the air. That's by far the lowest in the Big 12, 
third lowest in power five. So that's, and that's something that's been the hallmark of OSU's offense is getting down the field with their wide receivers that they're always talented at that position. And that's something I think they need to do a little bit more, uh, Colby, to to get some running room for Ollie Gordon. I, I think Ollie has been great. We know that, especially receiving the ball on top of running the football. But that's those, he's going to have a much harder time if, if this trend continues with Alan Bowman really not testing people down the field. Yeah, because what you're going to see is defenses start to creep up and take away uh, some more of the shorter stuff and prove, make Oklahoma State prove that Alan Bowman can beat them over their heads. Um, I, I think the problem that you're finding, and Mike Gundy has talked about this a little bit, you've got some guys that are fast, but just the blazer that can just take the top off of the defense and get down the field, th- that guy hasn't really uh, announced himself yet. You know, Rashad Owens has been great, but he's not the speedster that's going to take t- the top off and go deep. Um, Brennan Presley, I, I think his is more of a quickness than a flatline speed. He's incredibly elusive, uh, quick movements, but I don't think that he's the guy to just run go routes and, and sprint down the field. Uh, you know, a, a James Washington type. I don't know if that guy's walking through the door. So maybe you're, you're going to have to get creative getting Bowman out of the pocket, um, th- throwing back across the field backside, some stuff like that to get guys down the field where, where you can hopefully allow time for one of your athletes to get down the field because I just I don't know that you're going to have a blazer that's going to open that up for the Oklahoma State offense. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that that's a concern for me as teams adjust to what Oklahoma State is doing. I don't think that the six dump offs to Ollie Gordon are going to be there every week, and I don't think nine for one twelve, one fourteen, whatever it was for Rashad Owens on the little underneath routes. I don't think a lot of that stuff is going to continue to be there week after week. So other teams will make adjustments. So will Oklahoma State. Uh, but the guy who can really get down the field and announce himself as a deep threat that defenses consistently have to worry about, I think Oklahoma State's still waiting for that guy to make himself known. Uh, and that could really stand to happen sooner rather than later. I think that's a real opportunity for Jaden Bray. Um, I, I, I'm keep I'm waiting on him to have that kind of breakout performance specifically down the field. He's had some opportunities this year that haven't quite come to be, but what do you make of Rashad Owens in that role? He he got behind some folks against Kansas State. He's proven to be a reliable target for Alan Bowman. Perhaps perhaps he could be the the deep threat. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think that you're going to need to give Bowman some more time. Rashad Owens, uh, he's he's fast, but he's not a speedster. He's a big body guy. They've moved him around, tight end, cowboy back, slot receiver, back to, to X receiver now. Um, so he's moved around, but he put on some weight. He's lost some weight. He's he's just not a speedster, right? Just a true um, lightning fast guy that you can put on the outside and run go routes. Doesn't mean he can't get beside people. And if he gets one-on-one, he can win some one-on-one stuff. I just don't know that that's going to be something consistently. I'm, I'm talking make the defense worry about you 30, 40, 50 yards down the field like a James Washington type. And, and I know that that's probably not a fair bar to set for the current receiver room for Oklahoma State. But that's the kind of guy that allows you to work deep, which opens everything uh, up underneath. I, I do. I just worry that teams are going to start to creep those linebackers two yards closer to the line of scrimmage and those safeties, you know, three, four yards closer to the line of scrimmage as they notice that Oklahoma State is running everything kind of within 15 yards of the line. So um, I, I think Owens is going to continue to be more kind of the possession receiver, the 10 to 12 yard a catch receiver, which is uh, really valuable, and he's doing a great job. And if he can replicate last week's performance against Kansas throughout the season, that would be great. But I don't know that we're going to see him open it up deep. I, I'm intrigued by Jaden Bray potentially being able to do that, 
but they haven't used him a ton in that role. We've seen a lot of curls, a lot of inside breaking routes from Jaden Bray. I would be very curious to see if they could get him streaking down the field, if maybe he could beat some people. So uh, that's one that I'll, I'll maybe keep an eye on over these next couple. Yep, me too. And it's really the turnaround from Oklahoma State's offense has been pretty remarkable. You know, uh, in non-conference, they averaged 322 yards, 20 points per game, and 4.7 yards per play. In conference, they're averaging 458 yards, 32 points per game, and 6.1 yards per play. And obviously, the emergence of Ollie Gordon has been the reason for that. He ranks second nationally with 186.7 total yards per game during conference play. So, I mean, that, that kind of illustrates, Colby, the emergence we've seen from Ollie Gordon since he's become the true RB1 bell cow. And he's the reigning offensive player of the week at Oklahoma State. So with that comes a lot more, you know, recognizability coming into this game from West Virginia's end. I mean, he, I think he kind of surprised some Kansas and Kansas State with what he was able to do. But he, he's been by far, Colby, the biggest reason for their offensive turnaround. And I expect him to, you know, have another have another good game against West Virginia. Yeah, I do too. I wonder, though, um, after touching the ball, what was it, 34 times a week ago? Sometimes, I mean, we have to remember, these are human beings playing these games. These are not football robots out there that are taking 34 hits. These are 34 real-life hits that Ollie Gordon took last week. He, he's a big physical guy, Carson, but... I don't know. Can he go out there and, and take that beating again? I, I think we might see him in more in the 20 to 25 touch range this week because there's just only so many hits guys can take. What, what do you think about just kind of his workload as we progress through the season? Because we've seen this. Uh, I mean, even the year when Chuba Hubbard led the nation in rushing, you kind of saw down the stretch he was slower. He, he was a yard slower down the stretch than he was earlier in the season. I love what I'm seeing from Ollie Gordon, um, but I do think it would be reasonable to expect a little bit of a dip as the season progresses, just kind of in speed, elusiveness, stuff like that, because that energy bank is not infinite, and those hits do add up. Yeah, see, I think that's what's interesting about Ollie is for a bigger back like he is, it doesn't seem like he takes a lot of big shots. He's he's pretty good at getting drugged down to the ground versus getting hit to the ground, if that makes sense. I mean, he does do a very good job when he's wrapped up. I thought that was one of the more underrated things about his game against Kansas that he would get stopped for about a four-yard gain but would fight to get seven or eight. And that is just so huge on a on a full-game basis. And I think he's, he's pretty shifty for a guy his size. So I... I really haven't noticed, you know, a lot of what I would call wear and tear, like some big hits or like him coming up slower than normal. I haven't noticed that a ton. So I'm really not as concerned about that at this point. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think I think that's why they tried to get Jaden Nixon so involved last week. And I think that's something they're gonna have to continue to move forward. I mean, Elijah Collins is as fresh as can be, and I I've liked what I've seen from him. So I, I wouldn't mind mixing them in some to keep him fresh, but I, I do think he does a good job of avoiding big shots. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think Jaden Nixon uh, will probably get a call before Elijah Collins will in that two role. Elijah Collins had a fumble last week on kickoff. Uh, Jaden Nixon actually was the one who recovered it, which, again, no, 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 no blood spilled there since you got back on top of it. But I'm sure that's something that the coaching staff looks at. A fumble is a fumble, uh, whether it bounces to your teammate or to an opponent. So uh, might hurt Elijah Collins a little bit there. I was looking at the overall 
yards per play. Gave that a Google since we were talking about it. Oklahoma State was well outside the top 100 through most of September. I think Iowa State might have gotten them uh, back up to 100 or maybe just inside. But now Oklahoma State's up to 82nd in the country in yards per play. Uh, and it's a statistic that it's it's harder to move that number the further you get into a season because you just have more data. Uh, so the swings are not as drastic. But in the last three, let me, let me resort this here. Uh, last three is going to have Oklahoma State more in the middle of the pack, probably 40th somewhere in that neighborhood in yards per play, which is certainly uh, a drastic uptick for Oklahoma State from where they were earlier in the season. Yeah, and a, a lot of that has to do with they're now <laughs> – Think about this stat. This might break your brain based on what we've seen from Casey Dunn's offense over the years. Oklahoma State's averaging 6.2 yards per carry on first down this year. That's the sixth best mark in the country. Obviously, that that puts you in great positions with with the chains and you know down and distance situations. I do think that number skewed a little bit. I believe Ollie Gordon's uh, longest run against Iowa State was on first down with you know 70 plus yards. That that can kind of skew the numbers a little bit. But just overall, I have found them having a little bit more success running the football on, on first or just first downs in general, not necessarily just running the football. But I think I think a lot of their biggest plays have typically come on first down. But that's that's part of it. That's part of the equation. I think that's that's also a big reason for their their turnaround in yards per play is success on first down. Yeah, and Mike Gundy talked about that. I think I was listening to uh, – I get his press conference and his coach's show confused sometimes, but I think it was on the coach's show uh, with Dave earlier this week. I try to listen every week, and he was talking about the first down success, and that just sets you up for future success. Uh, just a little bit more here on the last three games, yards per play. Oklahoma, 6.1. Oklahoma State, 6.0. So for the season, Oklahoma is 16th in the country in yards per play, and Oklahoma State is 82nd. But over the last three, and we can kind of agree, that is, is I think, more what Oklahoma State's offense looks like now that they figured out their personnel. Oklahoma State within a tenth uh, of a yard per play of Oklahoma. So those two teams much closer on the offensive side of the ball, Carson, than I ever would have imagined through six weeks of the season. And I think we have to give Casey Dunn credit for that. Look, we've been we've been hard on him, rightfully so. I think he's done an excellent job, him and Mike Gundy both, just since conference play. They've they've really righted the ship. I think obviously playing the right players helps, but you also have the schemes, and I think they've done a much better job with that. The kitchen sink offense is it, it kind of started off in in against Kansas just like it did Kansas State. You know that Justin Southwell had a, a really great tweet this week, uh, not not involving uniforms, but he he posted a clip of. Um, the Miami Dolphins in the red zone, and they they rotated Mostert in motion, put him behind Tua, and then went the opposite way with him and just dumped it off to him on the opposite side of the field, and it was a walk-in touchdown. And he was like, please, let's see this with either Brennan Presley or Jaden Nixon. So if Mike Gundy's watching football and stealing plays, I wouldn't mind seeing some of that in the red zone, the, the Miami Dolphins-style offense, because Nixon is a threat with his speed on the edges like that. And I think that's... That's where I think they'll have more success in the red zone is on the edges than just, as we've seen, trying to pound it up the middle in, in big formations. Yeah, if I watch a Dolphins game, I have to devote two TVs to it so that I can have one 15 seconds behind and replay it to see everything <laughs> I missed on the initial because there's so much going on. Yards per play and everything, they're like shattering records. This is one of the greatest offenses in the history of the NFL. Pardon me. Uh, with what they're doing down there in <clears throat> in Miami. Uh, but yeah, Oklahoma State has looked so much different these past two weeks. Uh, and even back to Iowa State a little bit, they were a little bit better against Iowa State, but that was really still, okay, we're trying to feel this thing out. But we talked about the week five bye coming in handy this season. I think it definitely did because they just, 
they change things. And we do have to give Casey Dunn credit. This is it's almost Casey Dunn 2.0. Whenever you look at this season, uh, the offense, Casey Dunn, Mike Gundy, uh, V1, V1 was not so very good. V2 has been fantastic. So I don't know if that keeps up this week in Morgantown. Um, the over-under in this game is 50-and-a-half with a three-and-a-half point spread in West Virginia's favor. They're the home favorite there. So uh, Vegas is expecting this to be a low-scoring game. And this is another one, Carson. I think this one comes back into the 20s for Oklahoma State. And I think if they win this game, it's going to be more of a, a 20, 27-24, 24-23 type game. Uh, I don't think we're going to see quite the scoring that we saw last week in Stillwater between Oklahoma State and Kansas. What do you make of that point spread? I mean, you know, I were talking before we hit record – I mean, three and a half is a lot of points for two teams that are pretty evenly matched. What do you what do you make of that? Yeah, it factored into uh, my decision, my prediction this week. I, I do think that maybe a little bit is being given there to the extra couple of days off for West Virginia. Um, I, I do think that after the way they lost to Houston, I, I think that that can almost bring you together as sort of a rallying cry. Okay. Let's not let this get away from us. Let's not let it snowball. Let, let's go out and save our season right here and, and keep the momentum that we had going before that last play against Houston. So um, I would have thought that this game would have been a little closer to a pick them, but I, I can see how they got to three and a half. They are at home. Uh, but again, this is not a place that is a, a difficult place to win. This is a place where Oklahoma state has won pretty consistently four four out of five uh, and four in a row. So um I think that number is really close, though. I, I really do think that this is going to be a one-score game with four minutes left, and somebody's going to have to make a mistake in those last four minutes. And I, I think this is going to be one that Oklahoma State fans are going to have to sweat right to the very end. I think the wrong team's favored, personally. I mean, West Virginia's been a nice story. I mean, they they beat Tech at home by a touchdown. They beat TCU on the road by three. I, I would put Oklahoma State's wins well ahead of that with Kansas and Kansas State, albeit both were at home. Uh, and then they lose to Houston, who's – probably one of the worst teams in the big 12. So I, I kind of think the wrong team's favored. Now I, with that, I think that's why I think that's kind of a bad sign for Oklahoma state. Cause if you're thinking, if you're just a normal person in Vegas and you look at the scores from the week ago and you see OSU's a three and a half point dog, you're, if you're just Joe blow, not really paying attention, you're going to hammer OSU. And I think that's what Vegas wants. So that that's a concern for me. Um, it's one of those kind of weird, point spreads that that stick out um but i i think oklahoma state probably deserves to be favored you factor in what you mentioned the the series history uh the coaching matchup i kind of think the wrong team's favored so if i were in vegas and if osu fans are in vegas i would look at the uh the money line it's what plus 150 maybe a little higher depending on your book you're looking at uh, i'm looking at plus 140 here because oklahoma state is minus 116 plus the three and a half uh, for those of you who are into the betting numbers. So I, I would say that I I use the lines to inform my decisions and my predictions, but I'm not a prisoner to the lines. So um, I think that's I think that's a pretty good number, though, with West Virginia being the home team. I, I think if it was in Stillwater, Oklahoma State w- would be favored in this game. Um, I think they're just giving it to the home team between two evenly matched opponents. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let's get to the Chris University Spirit uniform preview brought to you by Chris University Spirit. Colby, it's a road game. They've got two white jerseys to pick from. Uh, at West Virginia, they t- they sometimes have gone with the all-whites on the road. What are you going with? I think it's going to be an all-white game. I do. I don't think they're going cursive. I think they're going with the brand. So I'm going to go white, 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 um, orange lettering on the white jersey. So I do think we're going to have a whiteout. What kind of helmet are you thinking? Uh, brand. 
Brand, no cursive. Brand, brand on the side. Yep. Yep. Okay. So. I'll go a little different. I know they do typically go all white at West Virginia. I think it's going to be some nasty weather up there. So to avoid the uh, the pants situation, I'm going to go white, white, black with the white cursive Cowboys helmet, uh, black cursive Cowboys on that with the black numbers. So white, white, black is what I'm going with. I think that'll be a, I could see them going black, white, black too. I almost want to go that direction. They've worn a lot of, they've worn some black helmets so far. I'll go white, white, black. I'll stick with my original prediction. Uh, yeah, I can see those, book. but by the way, uh, weather Saturday in Morgantown, West Virginia, high of 55 degrees overcast with rain at times high, uh, again, near 55 winds 10 to 15. So going to be a little chilly, a little rainy and a little breezy in Morgantown. So, um, yeah, home game, bad weather. I, I, I can see where the point spread makes sense. But again, I think it's going to be a, a game scored in the 20s uh, with one play late kind of deciding it. All right, let's get to our Yingling pregame beer of the week. Pregame toast, pregame beer, whatever you want to call it. It's brought to you by Yingling. I mentioned I had friends over last weekend and I was able to try the flight. It is uh, raise the bar with the next generation of light beer. Flight by Yingling is easy, easy drinking, clean, crisp, and refreshing. It's only 95 calories, 2.6 carbs, 4.2% alcohol by volume. Colby, I know Mick Ultra is kind of one of the more popular. Because it's nice and light. That's my microphone is not nice and light. Um, I would put this well ahead of Michelob Ultra after what I try. You know, the Michelob Ultra gets a little watery. Doesn't even really taste like beer by about halfway through it when you're on the golf course. If if, if you like Mick Ultra, I would suggest ditching that for the flight. It's it's outstanding. I had a lot of rave reviews over at my house last weekend. Uh, yeah, they're fantastic. They're absolutely great. Uh, I wonder if I can get one in Scotland. I wonder if that's I'm sure a thing. you can. I don't know. I'll have to look into it. I'll go You'll to, to look a, into uh, that. I'll go to a classic Scottish pub and ask for one. See what they say. They might look at you like, oh my god, this American wants what? He wants this they're light. Who is this guy? First of all, they're going to think I'm a local until I talk, since I am a redhead. And then I'm going to talk, and they're going to have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and, like, I can't think of a more opposite beer for Scotland than that. Like, they drink, like, mud, practically, over there. That's how dark and thick their beer is. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it'll be a little bit different experience. Uh, mine, Carson, my Yingling Toast of the Week, my, my pre-toast. I'm going to give it to Mike Gundy. Um, we've talked a lot about Mike Gundy. And he's the head coach. He's the big name head coach. He's been around nearly 20 years. Um, he is the conversation piece around which Oklahoma State football um, revolves. The golf course this weekend, all the conversations were about Mike Gundy. It's always about Mike Gundy. And he handles the criticism well. He continues to just go about his business. Um, it, it feels like sometimes he lets his foot off the gas and then his back gets against the wall and then it's pedal to the metal and it's, it's insane and it's frustrating and you, you want to love him and then you just can't stand him. And, um, the whole Mike Gundy experience is just, um, it's a roller coaster ride for Oklahoma state fans. But right now this thing is, is climbing to the top of that roller coaster and uh, they seem to have fixed a lot of the things that were plaguing them. So um, I am definitely quick to criticize whenever things go very poorly. So I want to be just as quick to give credit. I think the turnaround that he has made with this team has been phenomenal. Um, and for as poor as the decisions that I thought he made coming out of camp and into early September were that's as, as, good of decisions as he's made lately the tone shift in nil it's just everything since the bye week 
has been so 180 different to what it was before. Uh, I don't necessarily know that he heard the criticism, but I think that he realized where things were heading. And I think that he has invested some serious time and energy into flipping it to make sure that Oklahoma State continues to stay on the rise. So uh, my pre-toast of the week, Yingling goes to Mike Gundy. Yeah, I mean, football is a game of adjustments, and it's a long season, and it's a season of adjustments. And I think that's a sign of a good coach. I think Mike Gundy's proven year after year after year that when there's issues, he typically gets them corrected. And this year has, has been no different. It, it's it's not quite the same as the year when they had Jalen Warren and he had that big game against Boise State, but they they looked almost as bad as that year through the first few games of the year and he's getting it corrected again. So yeah, that's a good toast. And Mike Gundy deserves credit for that because they, they look like a completely different team once they've gotten into conference play. My toast got to be for the first time in a long time is going to an offensive lineman at Oklahoma state. Joe Mahalski graded out as the top rated center in the country last year, uh, 85.6. He was 4.4 points higher than second place. So he he played outstanding. You know, we've given so much credit to Alan Bowman, Ollie Gordon, Brennan Presley, rightfully so on the offensive side, Rashad Owens. Uh, we we tend to ignore the offensive line because when they're playing, Bowman didn't get hit a bunch. He had a lot of time to throw the football, and that's huge. So, so credit to Mahalski. He could probably down a few flights himself being on the offensive line. So that that's credit to him, and, and hopefully that trend continues because the center position obviously is so crucial. We all remember when – David Godlevsky was out in the Big 12 title game against Baylor. That was just crucial, a crucial loss, as bad as it was not having Jalen Warren, really, in a lot of respects. So I'll give a toast to an offensive lineman this week. Yeah, that's a good one, and he was fantastic last week against Kansas. Uh, Want to make sure to note before we get out of here that Oklahoma State's duel, the wrestling duel against Iowa, is going to be nationally televised. It's going to be on FS1, February 25th, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Big time. Went to a couple of big duels in my time in Stillwater. Have not been to one since I graduated. This would be a great one to go to. Uh, That is my wife's birthday, and I do believe we're going to be on a mountain that day. But maybe if we wrap early, we'll get back in time to watch the finish of this one. That's big time. Carson, Oklahoma State, and Iowa to wrap up the regular season on FS1. It doesn't get much better than a packed Gallagher-Iba facing Iowa. We all remember that sold-out duel against Iowa when they had the pin. Doesn't get much better than like a big match, a big duel, and you get like a big pin. Obviously, the place goes nuts. But even like when the guy's fighting for two and everyone's yelling two, 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 and they get it, oh, it's, that's the best. So I'm, I'm glad wrestling's getting that spotlight. And hopefully they have a better season this year because it's been been far too, too long. So uh, prediction time, Colby. On the road, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, three and a half point dogs. How do you see this one playing out? And what's your prediction? Uh, I think it's going to be played more slowly than last week was against Kansas. I don't think West Virginia is going to hit the big plays Kansas did, but I don't think Oklahoma State is going to be able to march up and down the field uh, on them either. I think it's going to be a a bit more of a slog and a little ugly, and I think that this game is going to be played in the 20s. I just trust Oklahoma State a little bit more down the stretch right now. Again, I I think the line is fine. West Virginia three and a half at home in a – uh, an ugly weather game with a couple extra days rest. I think the line's fine, but I just think Oklahoma State is a team that I can trust more to make that last play with a few minutes left. So I'm going to pick Oklahoma State to win the game 24 to 23. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be stressful. Um, 
I, I think that there might even be a scenario where West Virginia gets the ball back with a minute and a half, two minutes left with a chance to go kick a field goal and win the game, and the defense holds. I, I think it's going to be a, a stressful game to the wire, but I'm going to pick Oklahoma State in a close one, 24-23, to 23, to keep the momentum rolling. Love it. Uh, the weather significantly impacted my score because I, I did kind of think this would be somewhat of a higher-scoring game. I just think both quarterbacks are playing really well. They've figured out kind of what they want to do offensively on, on both sides of the football. And I think OSU has been susceptible to the big play, and I, I think their OSU's offense itself is much improved. But, again, I, I think the wrong team's favored here. Uh, I think you factor in the head coaching matchup here. While I like Neil Brown, Mike Gundy's track record in close games is is up there with the best in the country. And I think this is going to be a close game. And I think, you know, I mentioned this on last week's pod or the earlier pod in the week about coaches getting a little out over their skis with aggressiveness and not taking field goals and not punting probably when they should. Uh, I think this kind of this type of game and, and this kind of playbook for this game favors Mike Gundy and being a little bit more conservative. I think there's going to be a lot of punting in this game. I think there's going to be some decisions to be made. And I just, I trust Mike Gundy far more than Neil Brown in these type of situations, these type of games. I think this, this is kind of why when we were going through the schedule, I was picking OSU to win nine games. I think there's going to be a lot. And I, I mentioned it. A lot of these games are going to be coin flips to close game situations. And that favors Oklahoma state. So I'm, I'm picking Oklahoma state 24 to 20 lower scoring affair. I just think that Mike Gundy makes the right decisions in crunch time. And I think they can probably get to get Garrett Green to, to throw some more turnovers and, and get some more turnovers. That's been the biggest uh, boon to OSU this so far in the last couple of weeks on top of their offensive resurgence. So I think Ollie Gordon has a good game again, and I think OSU wins on the road and, and keeps some momentum rolling. Yeah, and another big thing in all these close games over the years for Oklahoma State, the kicking has been really consistent. I, I mean, I, I can't really think off the top of my head the last time that Oklahoma State had a full season where you're just running out of kicker with no idea whether it's going in. We're, when we're predicting these games and we've got them 24-3 and 24-20 and these games are close and they come down to one possession here, one possession there, and Mike Gundy trying to make the the correct decisions on these field goals. Um, having an Alex Hale that you can trust, he missed one last week. Uh, obviously, the percentages tell you that, that that's a fluke. Sometimes one misses and it didn't hurt you. It happened in a win, so um, yeah, the kicking is big time too and being able to trust Alex Hale in these close games whenever Mike Gundy decides to elect for field goals, that matters big time too because uh, maybe some of those decisions would even be different if the kicking wasn't so good. But it's been so, so good at Oklahoma State uh, that it has made a lot of those Mike Gundy decisions look really good over the years. And I think that speaks to what Alex Hale talked about, why he stuck it out. He he said he Mike Gundy does a great job with the specialists. And I think – that's kind of to your point about you can't really recall, you know, a shaky kicking situation. I think you have to give Mike Gundy credit for that too, because they they lose Alex Hale, and then boom, they got this walk on Tanner Brown who spent some time in the NFL and he was exceptional to where Alex Hale couldn't even get his job back. And I think that that's coaching, right? That's identifying even in the walk on type situations, guys who can you can rely on the kicking game. And we all know Mike Gundy likes to do that. And that's an emphasis that, you know, some coaches don't make. And I think you see even better programs around the country with shakier kicking situations. And I think Mike Gundy's really made that an emphasis and that's, that's how he's able to win these close games. I think that's an excellent point. Um, so massive game on the road to West Virginia, probably similar weather you're going to see in Scotland, Colby, but, uh, should be a fascinating one. And we'll, um, we'll get back with you. And if not, I'll probably tag in Marshall Scott if you're unavailable, but, uh, enjoy your trip. 
Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make it work. And yeah, it's uh, about 52 degrees with a 70 percent chance of rain every day in Scotland. But wouldn't have it any other way that that's fall in Scotland. You get the full experience that way. So uh, everyone enjoy Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Hopefully I'll be able to be back with Carson. If not, I'm sure Marshall will fill in and do a great job breaking this one down. Hopefully uh, things continue to come up orange here in the month of October. Thanks for listening. As always, go Pokes.